Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Hello and good day. It's Saturday, May 30th. I hope you are well. So I have so many ideas for today's podcast, and I don't know where it's going to go. I'm thinking a little bit about step 11 magic. I'm thinking a little bit about our third tradition, which is the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. I'm thinking a little bit about the making of amends process when you look at your resentments. I'm also going to open up our little language of letting go by Melody Beatty to see what May 30th has. And we'll go with our intuition. No, I don't like it. Okay, I'm feeling tradition three. No one usually talks about the traditions because, quite frankly, they sound fucking boring. But there's really good stuff in there. And I love tradition three because it talks about the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And why I love that, it means you don't have to be sober to be an AA. You can't be turned away. The day AA becomes, or NA or CA or whatever, becomes a fellowship that is only for sober people is the day we die as a membership because we're here we're supposed to be here for the still suffering alcoholic as much as the recovered alcoholic and so since love and tolerance is our code and our purpose is to help the still suffering alcoholic if someone's going to be going to the bathroom and drinking during the meeting oh well i've seen people falling down drunk come into meetings and i've never seen them met with anything but kindness and love i remember there's a guy in my home group who came i didn't know if he was going into a diabetic seizure or coma but he could barely speak. And now he's one of our beloved members of our group. I think he's been around for three or four years now. And um, people come in reeking of booze, and that's okay. I've never seen anyone belligerent at a meeting. That would fall into the safety of the members, and that would be handled by the people in the group. Um, But it's never something I've seen. So if somebody's coming to AA drunk... I mean, good on them. That's the last place I would want to go if I was wasted. So I think that shows a real commitment to wanting to get well. So if you didn't know, there is a sister book to the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, which you can get at almost any major retailer as well as meetings. But the sister book is called The 12 and 12, The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And though we focus primarily on the 12 steps in that book, the 12 traditions are on the back. And there is a long form of the traditions. So I'm going to read about this tradition three. Tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. This tradition is packed with meaning. For AA, it is really saying to every serious drinker, you are an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we cannot deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid you'll harm us, never mind how twisted or violent you may be. 
We just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we've had. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself. To establish this principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of those who did join us were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relighted. Our unspoken, constant thought was, which of us may be next? A member gives us a very vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared witless that something or somebody would capsize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. Our foundation office asked each group to send in its list of protective regulations. The total list was a mile long. If all those rules had been effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed pure alcoholics. Oh, we were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed, quote unquote, pure alcoholics. Except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to pure and responsible alcoholics. Any others would surely destroy us. Besides, if we took in those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? We built a fine mesh fence around 8A. Maybe this sounds comical now. Maybe you think we old timers were pretty intolerant, but I can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and our homes were threatened, and that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say? Well, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when afraid. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes. We were intolerant. How could we then guess that all those fears were to prove groundless? How could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people, people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Was it credible that AA was to have a divorce rate far lower than average? Could we then foresee that troublesome people were to become our principal teachers of patience and tolerance? Could then any could any then imagine a society which would include every conceivable kind of character and cut across every barrier of race, creed, politics, and language with ease? Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us? Why did we dare to say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? The answer, now seen in Tradition 3, was simplicity itself. 
At last, experience taught us to take away any alcoholic's full chance was sometimes to pronounce his death sentence and often to condemn him to endless misery. Who dared to be judge, jury, and executioner of his own sick brother? As group after group saw these possibilities, they finally abandoned all membership regulations. One dramatic experience after another clinched this determination until it became our universal tradition. Here are two examples. On the AA calendar, it was year two. In that, wow, wow, it's now like year 80. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling, nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. A newcomer appeared at one of these groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. He talked frankly with that group's oldest member. He soon proved that his was a desperate case and above all he wanted to get well. But, he asked, will you let me join your group? Since I am the victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism, you may not want me among you. Or will you? There was the dilemma. What should the group do? The oldest member summoned two others and in confidence laid the explosive facts in their laps. Said he, well, what about it? If we turn this man away, he'll soon die. If we allow him in, only God knows what trouble he'll brew. What shall the answer be, yes or no? At first, the elders could only look at the objections. We deal, they said, with alcoholics only. Shouldn't we sacrifice this one for the sake of the many? So went the discussion while the newcomer's fate hung in the balance. Then one of the three spoke in a very different voice. What we are really afraid of, he said, is our reputation. We are much more afraid of what people might say than the trouble this strange alcoholic might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Oh. Not another word was said. What more indeed could be said? I have chills. Overjoyed, the newcomer plunged into 12th step work. Tirelessly, he laid AA's message before scores of people. Since this was a very early group, those scores have since multiplied themselves into thousands. Never did he trouble anyone with his other difficulty. AA had taken its first step in the formation of Tradition 3. I love this so much. I hate when, when the rooms talk about outside issues, outside issues. Nothing's an outside issue! Not long after the man with the double stigma knocked for admission, AA's other group received into its membership a salesman we should call Ed. But really, I'm going to say a saleswoman we should call Edwina. A power driver, this one, and as brash as any saleswoman could possibly be. She had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. These ideas she sold to fellow members with the same burning enthusiasm with which she distributed autom automobile polish. But she had one idea that wasn't so saleable. Edwina was an atheist. Her pet obsession was that AA could get along better without its god nonsense. She browbeat everybody. And everybody expected that she'd soon get drunk. For at the time, you see, AA was on the pious side. There must be a heavy penalty, it was thought, for blasphemy. Distressingly enough, Edwina proceeded to stay sober. 
At length, the time came for her to speak at a meeting. We shivered, for we knew what was coming. She paid a fine tribute to the fellowship. She told how her family had been reunited. She extolled the virtue of honesty. She recalled the joys of 12th step work, and she lowered the boom. Cried Edwina, I can't stand this God stuff. It's a lot of malarkey for weak folks. This group doesn't need it, and I won't have it. To hell with it. A great wave of outraged resentment engulfed the meeting, sweeping every member to one single resolve. Out she goes. The elders led Edwina aside. They said firmly, you can't talk like this around here. You'll have to quit it or get out. With great sarcasm, Edwina came back at them. Now, do tell, is that so? She reached over to a bookshelf and took up a sheaf of papers. On top of them lay the foreword to the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Then under preparation, she read aloud, The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Relentlessly, Edwina went on. When you guys wrote that sentence, did you mean it or didn't you? Dismayed, the elders looked at one another, for they knew she had them cold. So Edwina stayed. Edwina not only stayed, she stayed sober month after month. The longer she kept dry, the louder she talked against God. The group was in anguish so deep that all maternal and fraternal charity had vanished. When, oh, when groaned members to one another, will that girl get drunk? Quite a while later, Edwina got a sales job, which took her out of town. At the end of a few days, the news came in. She'd sent a telegram for money, and everybody knew what that meant. Then she got on the phone. In those days, we'd go anywhere on a 12th-step job, no matter how uncompromising, but this time nobody stirred. Leave her alone. Let her try it by herself for once. Maybe she'll learn a lesson. About two weeks later, Edwina stole by night into an AA member's house and, unknown to the family, went to bed. Daylight found the master of the house and another friend drinking their morning coffee. A noise was heard on the stairs. To their consternation, consternation, Edwina appeared. A quizzical smile on her lips, she said, Have you fellows had your morning meditation? They quickly sensed that she was quite in earnest. In fragments, her story came out. In a neighboring state, Edwina had holed up in a cheap hotel. After all her pleas for help had been rebuffed, these words rang in her fevered mind. They have deserted me. I have been deserted by my own kind. This is the end. Nothing is left. As she tossed on her bed, her hand brushed the bureau nearby, touching a book. Opening the book, she read. It was a Gideon Bible. Edwina never confided any more of what she saw and felt in that hotel room. It was the year 1938. She hasn't had a drink since. Nowadays, when old-timers who know Edwina foregather, they exclaim, what if we had actually succeeded in throwing Edwina out for blasphemy? What would have happened to her and all the others she later helped? So the hand of Providence early gave us a sign that any alcoholic is a member of our society when he or she says so. I realize that may have ruffled some feathers because Ed is actually a real person, according to this book, but I thought it would be nice to hear from this book, since it's always male-skewed language, to hear female. And at the end of the day, it's the experience of this person matters and not the gender. 
So that is why I love Tradition 3. That is why I think this program is so powerful because it doesn't matter what your, like it said, race, creed, religion, gender, sexual preference, um, prosperity, reputation, none of that matters. We exist as a society to help others get well because we got well against all of the odds, against all of the diagnoses, against everything, we got well. And that's why this program is a miracle, and I believe a miracle that God gave to the addict to get better. I hope you enjoyed Tradition 3 in our podcast today. I thank you for being with me. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Be well, keep coming back, or just stay.